identity. And the thought behind this is, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us that we have a new identity. And so oftentimes, we understand that in our heads, but now we need to start believing in our hearts and living out this new identity in Christ and through Christ. The underlying theme of the entire book of Colossians is the thought of Jesus Christ is preeminent. There's a lot of various things that are vying for your attention and for my attention, but Jesus Christ and Him alone, He is preeminent. Let me give you a little bit of background of this book of Colossians. And every week I'm going to give you a little more information as we go along to help us understand where these people are and where we are also and how we can apply this to our life. Around A.D. 62, this letter was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was an incredible evangelist and missionary. And at this particular time, at A.D. 62, he found himself under house arrest, or basically prison, in Rome. And during this time, he had some freedom. He was able to receive visitors, and he was in a rented house, but he was under arrest. And he was writing letters during this period of time. And he had previously spent almost three years in an area in modern-day Turkey called Ephesus. Just down the road from Ephesus, about 160 kilometers, so I like to think of Bunbury is the smaller city. I mean, just granted, Bunbury is the center of the universe. But Bunbury is the smaller city. And up the road, about 160 kilometers, 200 k's, is the city of Perth, the big city. And that's how Ephesus was. Ephesus was the big city, and Colossae was the small city. And Paul never actually visited Colossae. He didn't start the church there, but what he did was, while he was in Ephesus, he led some people to Christ who went back to their hometown of Colossae, and they started a church. And now we see a man named Epaphras go to Rome, and he's one of the pastors from this church, and he visits with Paul in Rome and says, hey, we're going through some troubles here. And Paul understands where these people have come from, and where they're going to, and where God is going to take them in the future. And he doesn't come along with a big stick and go, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know? He comes along in kindness and explains to them that they're doing some really good things, but let's help you along so that you don't go down the wrong path. The church in Colossae was his own church, and the church of Ephesus was his own church. But you can imagine the Apostle Paul filtering through what he's hearing about these people. They were suffering from the, the, the temptation to take Jesus Christ and his wonderful salvation, and they were adding on Judaism. So the law, they're adding on the law. And there was also the temptation to add on some Greek mythology and some Greek teaching, which was known as Gnosticism, which literally means to know. And in other words, saying, I'm more enlightened, so it's my experience and what I feel and what I have experienced, and then I can add that to Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is writing and saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And he doesn't know these people, and he writes them a letter, and he tells them, I don't know you, but I've heard about you, 
And I've heard some wonderful things about you. That's what we talked about last week. And it says in Colossians chapter number one, verses four and five, it says, since we heard of your, here's what he heard. He heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He heard three really positive things. He said, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love. I've heard of your hope. And it's causing me now to pray. I've heard about your reputation. Now I'm going to pray for you. Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And it it is, in Christ, I have a new prayer for myself and others. In Christ, I have a new prayer for myself and others. Rather than praying, God, my will be done upon that person's life. Will you please change them because they really annoy me? Will you please work in my life to give me a new prayer for myself and for other people. You imagine the Apostle Paul. He understands his background. I'll give you a really quick summary of the Apostle Paul. He grew up sitting at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, which doesn't sound that impressive to you and I, but at the time, that was a very prestigious place to be and to learn from. And as he was learning under this man, he grew up and became what's known as a Pharisee, which was the lawyers of the day. He knew the law, and they would follow the law to the nth degree, and it caused them to have a great deal of pride. As they looked around, they go, look at us, aren't I good? And they would walk around the streets of Jerusalem, praying and doing incredible, positive, religious things that they would think are really good and impressive to God, whereas Jesus Christ comes along and goes, you're just... Dirty people that are clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And that's where the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul, when we first read of him in the book of Acts, he's overseeing the murder of a man named Stephen, which was one of the deacons of the first church. He was a persecutor of the church. The name Saul, which was his previous name, caused terror amongst Christians. And now Paul is a believer in Jesus Christ. He tells people about the person he used to persecute. He's now in prison for the person he used to persecute. And he sees these other people, and in a sense, this is my thinking here, he can see himself in them. I remember when I just didn't know. I remember when I thought that I had it all together, but in reality, I had no idea what real reality was. I thought that I knew the law. I thought that I knew how to do everything. And it caused Paul not to go back and go, I guess I can't do anything then. It caused him to pray. A prayer that he would never have ever prayed in his previous life before Christ. He would never have prayed what he's going to pray when we're going to read in a few moments' time. But now he can pray a new prayer for himself and also for others. And I think you and I, if we can begin this as a positive habit of prayer, imagine the difference it's going to make over the next 12 months if we can begin to apply this to our lives. How different our community will be. How different our own families will be if we can apply this. It says in Colossians chapter number 1, verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I can feel that. This week I felt that when I heard the news of Charmaine is going into emergency surgery. She's going to have her baby. It's very dangerous. As soon as I heard that news, I did not cease to pray for you. 
and I shared it with some other people. You know, I can feel what that feels like, and I can see what the Apostle Paul is doing here. And so often, naturally, after a period of time, we go, okay, that's done now, and now I don't have to pray anymore. And Paul says here, I've never ceased to pray. He goes, I'm going to continue to pray for you again and again and again. Let's begin reading in verse number 9, and I'll read through verse number 14. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you have your bulletins, you'll see in the bulletin, we have message notes inside the bulletin that you can follow along. And I hope that's helpful to you to remember the points so we can apply them to our life. Let's begin reading in verse number 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, with all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Lord who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred to us the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's our principle again. In Christ, I have a new prayer for myself and others. Let's begin with that first point. As we go through this scripture passage here, we see the first thing is he has his prayer. He prays that they will be filled. It says in verse 9, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. I looked up that word filled in the Greek and I, I always find these little studies interesting because the word filled literally means to cram in as if you're cramming something in a net. And as I was thinking about cramming things in, uh, something came to my mind that I have not thought about for a long time. If you grew up in Australia, you would have remembered going to either Kmart or Target, what was called the pick and mix. And you would buy a cup. It doesn't matter how full the cup was, as long as the lid could fit on. And some of you are smiling, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's a technique involved. It's a great technique because you can shove those lollies in as hard and as solid as you can, as long as you can get the lid on. And I was taught by a, a young woman who was amazing at this. She often did this, and, and I was doing it all wrong one time, and she looked at me and goes, Michael, you're doing this wrong. You put your soft ones in first, and then you put the hard ones on top so you can cram them in harder. That's what I was thinking about when I thought of this word, that you may be filled. It's not just somewhat filled to the brim, or it looks full. It's, I want to cram in. I want you to be totally filled. Some things that he says here. What is it that we're to be filled with? It begins with, filled with knowledge. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What a wonderful privilege that it is that we have a, if you know Christ is your Savior, the Bible says that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And God says that we can know the will of the creator of the universe. Now, I want to pause for effect for just a moment there because that was so easy to say. 
you stop and think for a moment, the creator of the universe not only knows who you are and I am, he says, I love you and I have created you with a plan and with a purpose and I want you to know my will. And the Apostle Paul says, this has made a difference in my life. I want you also to know the will of God. Author and pastor Warren Wiersbe, he passed away a couple of years ago, and he said this, Satan is so deceptive. He likes to use the Christian vocabulary, but does not use the Christian dictionary. And so often Satan takes things and it sounds so good and it may even sound spiritual and he twists it and deceives it and redefines something that is good that really means that is bad. And we can see that in our world today. The things that are seen of as hope and solid and true are seen of as, mm, I don't know, it could be or couldn't be. What we need to go back to is discovering what is truly the will of God. What an incredible prayer to pray for yourself and for others that we will have filled, crammed full with the knowledge of the will of God. Brene Descartes was a French philosopher who lived in 1637, is quoted as saying this. He says, I think, therefore I am. Which sounds really deep and philosophical and it's very very self-centered there's a man who is a very intelligent man his name is professor brian cox and he has a number of books and uh, documentaries and one of his books is called human universe and i'm going to quote from it in just a moment a long quote i have a great deal of respect for this man's intellect but i do not believe in his conclusions because his conclusions and what he sees of the world, and he's what's called a particle physicist, basically means he's very, very intelligant. And I can no doubt, sitting and discussing things with him, he would talk circles around us, but he, with all his knowledge, has missed out on true wisdom and the will of God. I'm going to read a long quote from him. Human life is a staggeringly strange thing. On the surface of a ball of a rock falling around a nuclear fireball in the blackness of a vacuum, which I think we can all agree, we're on a ball sitting on a rock floating through space going around the sun. He says this, here's his conclusion. The law of nature conspired to create a naked ape that can look up at the stars and wonder where it came from. What is a human being? Objectively, nothing of consequence. Particles of dust in an infinite arena, present for an instant in eternity. Clumps of atoms in a universe with more galaxies than people. And yet, a human being is necessary for the question itself to exist. And the presence of a question in the universe any question is the most wonderful thing. I have one more paragraph. Questions require minds, and minds bring meaning. What is meaning? I don't know. 
except that the universe and every pointless speck inside it means something to me. I'm astonished by the existence of a single atom and find civilization to be outrageous imprint on reality. I don't understand it. Nobody does. But it makes me smile. The conclusion is, Brian Cox is a very intelligent man who has looked at the universe and come to the conclusion that we are particles of dust, which is actually biblical. And he says that we are clumps of atoms without a purpose, but because we have a mind, therefore we can find purpose. And his, later on in his book, he's quoted as saying things like this, Life means something to you and me, therefore meaning exists. It becomes about us. Otherwise, you have to believe in a godlike thing. So his conclusion is, if I don't believe in me, then I have to believe in God, so I'm going to believe in me. We should operate as such as we are it in the galaxy. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans chapter number 1. And there's a whole passage I could read, but I'm just going to read one verse in verse number 25, where the Apostle Paul says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. The Apostle Paul was praying, and he says, I'm never going to cease to pray for you that you will have knowledge of the will of God because the alternate view is that we are empty and meaningless and everything is about us. And that's where these people had come from. And he says, I don't want you to return there. Let's move forward. And without Jesus Christ, that's exactly where you and I are. We are empty and without hope. And that's why we go out and have missions. That's why we go and tell the good news of the gospel outside of our our church doors because we want other people to know the knowledge of God's will. But he also continues and prays that they'll have wisdom and understanding. That passage continues on. He says, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The key preface of those words, wisdom and understanding, is spiritual. There's a lot of things that we think are wise, and they have great knowledge and understanding, but if it's not a foundation upon the spiritual, then we will not know and be able to do the will of God. Every single one of us, every single human, has two wills. There is a general will that God has for all mankind, hence we exist. There's also a specific will in regards to God's plan and purpose. I firmly believe that Jesus Christ came to earth and died on the cross for all mankind. And when he died on the cross, he's given us the ability to know him as Savior. And that specific will is how we come to know him as Savior and also how we go out and live our lives as a result. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, verses 17 and 18 says, Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And here's the key statement. But be filled with the Spirit. You see, that word filled, when we see it in the New Testament, we see it a number of different places through the New Testament. It has the understanding of to be controlled by. We're called to be controlled by the Spirit and not to be controlled by alcohol. Oftentimes when we hear the word controlled by, our natural responses, and this is personally my natural response, 
Not my spiritual response, but my natural response is, I don't want to be controlled by anything. I want to control me. And I've actually thought through that when I was reading those passages, thinking through, what's my natural first inclination? It's, I don't, I don't want to be controlled by anything but me. I want to do, be in control. And I can imagine the Apostle Paul looking at these people in Colossae and saying, I know where you've come from. I want you to know God's will, but also I don't want you to be controlled by yourself or by society. I want you to be in a positive way controlled by the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with anger, you are controlled by anger. When you are filled with jealousy, you are being controlled by jealousy. When you are filled with lust, you are being controlled by lust. And in a positive sense, when we are filled with the Spirit, we are being controlled by the Spirit. We begin to see the world differently. We begin to see the things that are truly the will of God. You see, the word wisdom is simply a word that means the right use of knowledge. You can have all the knowledge, but without wisdom, we don't know how to use it correctly in the world around us. God's going to give you opportunity to live that out this week. Sometime this week, if not even today on the way home, someone's going to cut you off on the way home and you're going to have the ability to use some wisdom. We see here, when you are filled with the will of God, we're naturally going to be obedient to the things of God. See, he began with a prayer. The Apostle Paul says, my prayer is that you will be filled and you'll be crammed full of knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding so you are crammed full of this. But he goes on and also says, now here's the application of that. And that's our second point this morning. Our second point is the prayer. Now we have a path, a path to live our life and to follow. Yesterday, my daughter and I went out near Wellington Dam and we took a little walk and the path was not very clear at all. And I stood there because I'm the dad and I have to act like I know what I'm doing. And I looked around and I thought, this is the way the path is. And I was guessing a little bit and thankfully I guessed right. Because you look at the, all, the, all the leaves across it, I didn't know where the path was exactly. You know, literally 20 meters from the road, it wasn't that hard. Here it says in verse number 10, here's the application of this. We are filled, so now we can be full and live life. He says, verse 10, so as to walk, that's the path, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That word fully literally means all, every, always, whole. It's all-encompassing. With a child, we have an infant child taking their first steps. It's exciting. And we celebrate those shaky first steps. My son walked very early, like nine months, and we were pushing him over because, of, no, too early. <laughs> he got up, and he was walking his first steps, and it's a joy. And those are the sort of things, as a parent, you don't want to miss. You want to experience and see those first steps. And as time goes on, you know that they're only going to get more confident and proportionally their head will become smaller to the rest of their body and they're less top-heavy and they're able to walk better. And after a while, they're running back and forth and all over the place. And then they become a teenager and you're telling them, get out of bed, just walk. But you know what's wonderful? In time, and here's my spiritual, <laughs> that silly story. 
we celebrate those first steps, but we're not called to remain in those first steps. We're called to continue to grow and develop and to get stronger over time. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. I could have another whole message on these next quick four points, but I'm just going to name them off very quickly with some scripture behind them as we go. Because here's the application for you. In the very beginning of this message, we pray, said, God, will you show me what you want to show me? Here's the application now. So let's lean forward and say, God, how can I put these part of my life? If I really am filled, crammed full of you and your will, I'm going to be full. And as a result of that, here's what's going to take place. We're going to be full of service. Full of service. It says in verse 10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. The word every good work. And here's the key. Oftentimes we think to ourselves, my service is on Sunday. Praise God. Thank you for serving on Sundays. But you know what? There's another 167 hours of the week that you were out and about. And the seemingly small and mundane things of life, we can turn that around as acts of service to God. You can take your normal routine. So therefore, the goal is to be full of service. We can also be full of knowledge. And that is the prayer that the Apostle Paul has here is increasing in the knowledge of God. That is, we know where we were last week and I have a hunger to continue to grow and to develop. That's why I challenge all of our church to read our Bibles every day. If you need help with that, there's, an, there's a QR code inside the bulletin that you can download an app that will help you through with the Bible reading plans. And sometimes we need things that are systematic. I, I understand that. And it helps us to increase in the knowledge of God. In a few weeks' time, when school comes back in, we'll have our connect groups again. And we're going to start some Friday night Bible studies that help us to increase in the knowledge of God so that we can continue to expand our capacity. Where you were last year, praise God, because you look back upon the past. But God, in His infinite wisdom, increases our capacity over time. And things that would have terrified you a year ago, you're now saying, I know that. I can do that. As you continue to grow and to develop, to use myself as an example, when I first felt a call to church ministry, I remember having very candid conversations with God, saying, God, I can't do that. I can't speak in front of people. I can't. I listed off all my seemingly inabilities. And, and granted, you don't scare me anymore, so it's okay. But you go through all the different lists of things that you can't do, and God, over time, increases our capacity. Then our prayer can become, Lord, increase my capacity to love until I love you with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind, and love my neighbor as myself. We continue on, and we can be full of power. Now, we are like that. We like the thought of being full of power. If you look up that word power, it literally has the same root word as the word dynamite. So this is something explosive, powerful. And it says, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. 
the response is, as we look back, we see things, we say, God, only you could do that. That's the explosive dynamite power of God. We look back upon things and we go, God, only you could have answered the prayer in that way. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul seeing these people and seeing where they were originally and how God has grown them and to develop them. And he can see if they continue to grow and develop the things that God will do in them and through them. And he can says, this is the power of God in our life. The same thing for you and I. We can live life differently as a result. And it's also, it finally concludes in verse number 12 with to be full of thanks. When you consider the source and you have service and you have knowledge and you have God's power, our natural inclination is to say, I am something else. I am pretty good. Look at me or look at the things that I've been able to accomplish. And in reality, we need to constantly be reminded who is our source. And we need to be full of giving thanks to the Father. The greater the gift, the longer we say thank you. If God has given you salvation, and God's given you life, not just for today, but for all eternity, the Bible says that you have a new identity. And as a result of that new identity, now we have a new prayer that we can pray for ourselves and for others. So as you go out this week, you're going to be tempted to be filled with many things of the world. You're going to be filled with things that you should not be filled with. My challenge to you is to stop and pray these prayers for yourself. God, will you give me your strength? Will you give me your spiritual knowledge and uh, wisdom and understanding? And then through that, begin praying that for other people. I'm a very practical guy, and I need reminders all the time. And this morning, I saw a red Toyota Camry drive past. And you go, what in the world? Nothing spiritual about red Toyota Camry. Except that 12 months ago, Dwayne and Valerie Keefe, who were part of our church for a number of years, they left and went to Alcamos to start a church, and they drove a red Camry. And I told myself a year ago, and I've been praying for a year, let you, let you in on my craziness, that for the last year, every single time I see a red Toyota Camry, I pray, God, will you bless Dwayne and Valerie? Will you protect them? And I, I drive past certain roundabouts, and I've told some of you about this. I drive past roundabouts and said, this is my place when I stop and pray for you. Let me encourage you, make this the practical. Make this the new normal in your life it's because you already have a new identity. And let's start living that out. And how different will your families be? How different will your neighborhood be? Our schools be? Your workplace be? If we can begin to live this out. You imagine being this church in Colossae, receiving this letter and thinking, Paul, the Apostle Paul, his promise to continually pray for us. They would have got up with a great deal of, of encouragement to go out and live life differently as a result. And I believe that's the same for you and I. Let's go out and live life in this new identity. Just stop for a moment and let God work in your heart and your mind. Maybe he's brought a person to your mind or a circumstance to your mind right now. You can stop for a moment and say, God, I'm going to begin to pray that prayer right now.